Bibles to Luke chapter 2. You'll find the insert in the bulletin. Please open to Luke chapter 2. It's a joy this year to be um, going through this section of God's Word at this time of the year. Um, Last week, we're looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, which I don't really know how seasonally fitting those were, but this week, we're in Luke chapter 2. Now, the danger with being in familiar passages, especially at familiar times of the year, is that we sentimentalize them. Last week, we learned that there may not have been a stingy innkeeper. Um... And this week, I hope that God will give us eyes to see, eyes of faith to see, that we can look at this text afresh and anew. It is a marvelous passage. As we've been reading in Luke's gospel, there's been parallel accounts of the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, then the announcement of the birth of Jesus, Gabriel in both instances to one of the parents. And then we have the the two mothers coming together, and then the birth story of John the Baptist, with the community getting involved, word spreading, followed by a prophetic utterance by his father. And now in chapter 2, we have the parallel story um, following suit of the birth of Jesus, and the word spreading, and it will culminate in the temple with a prophecy over him. And so Luke is establishing in the first instance the, the credentials, the, the messianic Um, title and authority of Jesus and of the prophet who came to bear witness to him. Remember, back in chapter 1, Luke told us why he is writing, and as much as others have attempted to organize a, a, a competent account of these things, Luke says to Theophilus, that it seemed good to me, having closely followed Things for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So this is the gospel of certainty, of knowing for sure. And if there's any accounts in the gospels themselves that are well known to most people, it's, it's this passage and others like it. Yet one of the things we'll see in this passage is, is that who Jesus is and understanding who he is comes together more fully more exaltedly, and more importantly here, than any point yet up in Luke's gospel. As the angel appears to the shepherds and announces to them the good news, he he brings together titles for the Messiah, and that's what we're going to look at. And the challenge for us will be, can we see through the, the, the baby in the manger? Will we see through the Christmas specials? Will we see through the holiday greeting cards and the jingles? Will we see the Son of God as he is declared in Scripture and God's Word? Will we hark the message of the angels? Will we echo the response of the shepherds? So let's begin by reading the passage, and then we'll take a look at it in two points. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. So as you look at this passage, you want to sort of divide this into two chunks, two divisions. We've got first, verses 8 through 14, the heavenly proclamation. The heavenly proclamation. An angel appears. The angel makes an announcement. Some more angels appear. They say something else. That's the first part. And then the response of the shepherds, the earthly confirmation. So we're going to look at this in two parts, heavenly proclamation and earthly confirmation. We'll begin with the heavenly proclamation. Now this is an unexpected event. We've seen already the unexpected Messiah, the King of Kings, comes born in a lowly animal stall, in a manger. When God's King comes, he does not come as we would expect, certainly not as the Jews of his day expected. And now when God wants to spread the word, when God wants to herald it, again, he does it in unexpected ways. And we first we see is the setting in verse 8 and 9. In the same region, there are shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Well, the setting is this. An angel appears in glory to shepherds. An angel appears in glory to shepherds. Now, I want you to imagine if you were trying to be a PR person, if you were trying to get the word out about the Messiah's birth, to whom would you send the angels, the angelic messengers? Perhaps you might pick the high priest. And the high priest, after all, was be able to inform all the other priests. They could get the word out in the temple. They get the word out in all the synagogues. The Messiah is here. God doesn't send his angels to the high priest. Or perhaps you might think the Sanhedrin, the assembled body of, of the scribes and the Pharisees. Nope. Maybe the king to Herod. Maybe to Julius, maybe to, not Julius, maybe to Augustus Caesar himself. Again, no. It is stunning to whom God sends this angelic announcement. Who, who receives this good news? And it's to lowly shepherds. Shepherds in the same region. So we're in a small town of Bethlehem, about six miles south of Jerusalem. And outside of that small town, in some hill or wooded region, are shepherds. Shepherds were lowly people. It was an unskilled job. Usually something children are relegated to. You remember David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, was out with the animals. While his older brothers, who had skills, were in the army. And there's nothing shameful about being a shepherd. But it, it, was, it was a common enough thing. that It kept them out of the community life. In many cases, it kept them out of the religious sphere. These are lowly people. They're out in the fields at night, which, by the way, as best as we can, as best as we can figure out, 
Um, given the, the climate of Israel, this would put it somewhere probably between April and November. Another, another shocker, probably Jesus wasn't born December 25th, almost certainly. See, December 25th is Saturnalius, which is a pagan celebration, which um, when, when the church and the state was joined, they wanted to Christianize it. The people were used to a feast December 25th, and so they Christianized it and called it Christmas. And that's fine. We, most of the days of our week are named after pagan gods. That's fine. We can, set, we can observe a day to the Lord and honor him, but probably wasn't born in December. It probably would have been too cold in Israel for shepherds to be outside. We can't be certain or dogmatic about that. But, but again, I'm, I'm sorry for destroying another beloved Christmas myth. Um, but if they're outside in the fields, it's probably somewhere in April and November. And it's probably also closer to 4 to 6 BC than it is exactly 2,015 years ago. Probably closer to 2019, 2020 years ago um, was the birth of Christ. So that's the setting. An angel appears to shepherds. And I, and I think Luke wants us to grasp and to connect some of the dots. Remember, turn back a little bit. Just turn back to Luke 1.52. If you remember when Mary was chosen and told that she was to bear the Messiah, and she praises God about what he's doing. She's magnifying the Lord. Look at what she says. We'll, we'll just pick it up in um, verse fifty. 1 and 52. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Exactly the same pattern we're seeing. God is exalting the lowly. God is showing grace to the humble. A peasant girl is chosen to bear the Messiah and lowly shepherds are the ones entrusted with the message. Lowly shepherds are the ones who receive the birth announcement. This is in keeping with the God that we worship, a God who's not a respecter of persons. This is good news to us. This is good news that when Messiah is born, God God chooses the lowly, he chooses the despised, he chooses the weak things to shame the things that are not. No announcement goes to the capital, no announcement goes to the chief priests and the rulers and the scribes. Shepherds. Shepherds receive this good news. An angel appears in glory to shepherds. Now, another thing we got to smash here is, is this notion of angels. If you, if you see the Christmas cards, they look pretty. They look delicate. Every single instance in Scripture of an angel showing up, people are terrified. These are terrifying beings. If an angel appeared in glory, we, we, would, we would fall over as if dead. We would, we would cry out. We'd be terrified. The fact, the pattern, in fact, in fact, almost always when an angel appears, the first thing they say is, fear not. There's a reason for that. It's because it's, it's frightening. So again, we've got to get rid of this notion of um, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Caucasian angels you know, with, with halos around their head and think rather of the, the beings described in Scripture, the beings described in Ezekiel. An angel appears to them, and they're terrified. The angel appears, not just the angel, but the glory of God surrounding this angel. And, and again, remember that in Israel's history, for over 400 years, there had been silence. Silence. God had not spoken. God had not sent miracles. God had not sent angels or visions. And now in the, in the series of just two chapters, an angel appears to Zechariah. An angel appears to Mary. Now an angel appears to these shepherds. The pattern, again, of an angel appearing follows the same exact pattern as as we've seen in the rest of Scripture, there's the appearance, there's fear, there's comfort, there's a message, and there's a sign. 
It's exactly what happens in chapter one when the angel appears to Zechariah in the temple. He appears, Zechariah is afraid, he gives comfort, he gives the message, and Zechariah receives the sign of being mute. The angel appears to Mary, same exact thing, appearance, fear, comfort, message, sign, it's the same pattern we see here. So that's the setting. An angel, this one unidentified, there might, have, might be Gabriel, I would guess probably not if Luke's identified Gabriel up to this point. If he doesn't identify this singular angel, it's probably not, but again, you can't be dogmatic. An angel appears to these shepherds in the middle of the night, out in the fields, washing sheep. And they are afraid. You and I would be afraid. So let me move to the announcement. The angel said in verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. This is an angel with, with a gospel. Our word gospel comes from the Greek euangelion, which is the verb here, is to give good news. It's to good news somebody, to gospelize somebody. The angel here has good news. He's on a mission of good news. Fear not, I have great good news of great joy. And it's not just for the shepherds, but it's for all the people. Now, in Luke's gospel at this point, all the people probably means the people of Israel. Throughout Luke's gospel, the people means Israel. Now, we know as the the rest of Scripture gets written that this ultimately is good news for everybody. For everybody. There's good news. So the angel announces good news and then defines the good news. And this is what's key for us as we study this. There's good news. What is that good news? Well, the good news is, is a child has been born. That's the good news. And I think most people, even in the culture, are with us so far. It's good news, a child is born, but then the angel is going to go on to describe this child. And it's this fourfold description that becomes key. There is good news of great joy for all people. The good news of great joy for all people, for you, for me. 2,000, 20 years ago, a baby was born. Who is this baby? That's, That's the key. So he says, I've got good news of great joy for all the people. Then he renames it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now there it is. There is the the Christology, the the titles for who Jesus is. And and I'm going to suggest to you, this becomes the key of understanding this is good news. A child is born to you this day. And I think that even that phrase probably echoes in their ears Isaiah 9, 6. For unto you a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I, I also suspect, by the way, that these shepherds are faithful Israelites. These are, these are men of faith. These are people who are justified and reconciled with God. Why, why do I say that? Because the end, they're praising God. At the end, they certainly are. And I'm going to suggest that the reason, and we see their faithful response, they receive the good news, they go, they investigate, they see the child, they rejoice. Everything indicates these are people of faith. These are people of faith. So the angel says he has a good news for them of great joy for all people, specifically unto you is born this day. And let me get a fourfold description of who is born this day. 
And, and this is what's so exciting. The, the rest of the Old Testament is someone's coming. Someone special is coming. It starts with, with God's promise to Eve, your seed will crush the head of the serpent. Someone's coming. Some, some descendant of yours is coming. He's coming. To Jacob, prophesying on his, on his staff in his old age, the, the scepter of rule shall not but depart from Judah until he comes. And on and on through the Old Testament, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. We see in John's gospel, when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, the, the Pharisees in Jerusalem send people, who are you, are you the Christ, are you the one who's to come? And finally, this angel announces to shepherds, it's no longer he is coming, but he has come. Today, unto you is born, this day, he is here, the Savior has arrived, so, so what's the fourfold description? We'll just look right there in verse 11. For unto you is born, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. It's the first thing is your Savior. Your Savior is born. And that's the good news. The good news, you have a Savior and he has come. That's the good news of great joy. Now understand, for some people, that's not good news because... In order for me to rejoice in in a Savior coming, I've got to acknowledge that I need saving, right? I mean, if you're a good, moral person, you don't need a Savior. If you do the best you can, if you're as good as the next guy, you don't need a Savior. The angels just announced, "This this is good news of great joy for all the people, for unto you this day is born a Savior, You can begin even now to see how for some people this isn't good news. But for us, thus it is, we have a Savior. This is the same title um, spoken of in, by Mary in, in, in her Magnificat in chapter 1, verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so as you ask the question, who is this baby in the manger? He's a Savior. He is a Savior. He is the one who came to save us from our sin, the one who came to save us, if you push it all the way to the end, from God himself, from God's wrath. We have a savior. First and foremost, who is Jesus Christ? He is is a savior. He's a savior for me, he's a savior for you, if we will apprehend him rightly. If we understand this, and if we recognize our need of a savior, then this is the best news in the world. This is the greatest announcement ever made. A savior has been born. In fact, in John 4, 42, when Jesus goes to the Samaritan village and the woman at the well meets with him and she goes and tells her town and they come out and speak to him, Jesus. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of you that we, of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Or as the apostles preached the gospel in Acts 5, 31, Speaking of Jesus, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. First and foremost, who is this baby? What is the cause of joy? We have a savior. A savior has been born. Secondly, he is your king. Now that's the one title that's not explicitly stated, but I think it's there by implication clearly. The angel says, in the city of David, a savior. We've already looked in the previous weeks at the promises God gave to David of sending a king. He's born in the city of David. 
And again, these shepherds couldn't have missed that note. It's been echoing throughout Luke's gospel. This is the king. And again, this is wonderful news. But, but it, can, it can impress with us, because you imagine going to someone on the street, I've got great news for you. What? You have a king. You have a king. I have a king. And he was born over 2,000 years ago. Our king was born in the city of David. We have a savior. We have a king. God is good, but the rule of God is not democratic. He is a king. We have a king. Third, he is the Messiah, or, if you like Greek better, the Christ. Remember, Messiah, Christ, and anointed are Hebrew, Greek, and English for anointed. Who is Christ the Lord. So the word Christ there is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, which simply means the anointed. He's the Savior. He's the King. He's the coming Messiah. Notice how he's, he's bringing these titles together. This is why I say that in, in Luke's gospel, so far this is the, the, the culmination of who Jesus is. Notice the emphasis on identity. And the assumption is, as we understand who he is, that will fuel our joy. Understanding who this child is, this child is the savior of the world. This child is the king of kings, our king. This child is the Messiah. I'll just just read a few verses from Psalm 2 where some of these titles are brought together as well. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds him in derision. Then he will speak to him in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. This is the Messiah. This is the king who has come into the world. And notice the last phrase, he is Lord. He is Lord. And this is good news for all people. This is the good news that we share. This is the good news announced by the angels. This is the good news that we have to share with the world. That for, for everyone you know, for your neighbors, for a dying world, a Savior has come. You have a Savior. You have a King. You have a Messiah. You have a Lord. I, I bet you can guess which parts of those are the ones that rub people the wrong way because I don't know about you, but I didn't come into this world looking for a Lord. I didn't come into this world looking for a king. I don't think you're gonna meet many people wandering around, someone please find me a king. Someone please find me a Lord. But it's all packaged together. This savior of the world is the king of kings. This coming Messiah is also the Lord. And the the angels announce the good news to the shepherds. They respond with joy. We should respond with joy. But understand who this baby is. Yes, this baby is the Son of God. Yes, this baby in the manger is the Savior. Yes, this baby in the manger is the Messiah. He is also your King, and He is also your Lord. And if you're willing to recognize, I have a King, I have a Lord, then also say, I have a Savior, I have a Messiah. This is the announcement to the shepherds. This this title for Jesus as the Lord has already been used by Elizabeth. 
In chapter 1, a little earlier, remember when Mary came to visit Elizabeth in 1, the baby leaps for joy, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This child is divine. This child in the manger is the Savior. He is the King. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And it's understanding that and responding and believing by faith, that is the cause of our joy. The content, the identity of this baby is crucial. And the angel explains it more fully than as yet has been explained in Luke's gospel. And then, after the message, there's the promise of a sign. This shall be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We've already seen the sign, of course, is that this child who is Savior, this child who is King, this child who is Messiah, this child who is Lord, is not born in the palace. He's not born in a royal court. He's born in a manger, laid in a manger. And then... As if, as if this announcement cannot stand by itself, this announcement of good news, this gospel cannot stand by itself. There is with the angels suddenly a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now the word host simply means army. An arranged phalanx or group or platoon of people, except it's a multitude, it's an army. What's remarkable is this is an army that doesn't come to fight, but to announce peace. But first, praise. They glorify God. Notice how their praise is directed up. this, This giant angelic army appears, and they speak to the heavens, and they speak to earth. To heavens, glory to God in the highest, as if to say this salvation has come. He's kept his word. He's done this supreme act of love and kindness in sending his son. Glory to God in the highest. And then the application of what's happened to men, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now I know that some of your translations, especially if it's based off of, if it's the King James or based off of of that text, has something slightly different. But having done some research, I can assure you that the, the oldest, most accurate, the best reading here is but the ESV and other translations have peace, not to everyone, with those to whom he is pleased. You see, up earlier in verse 10, we got the general announcement of good news. The general announcement of good news. God has sent his son into the world. A child has been born, and this is good news for all people. But as people come face to face with the identity of this child and the claims about this child... The peace offered by this child doesn't go to everybody. The peace that comes from the birth of this child goes only to those with whom God is pleased. Well, then, obviously, that raises the question, how do you become, if you want peace, one of those with whom God is pleased? I think we just need to follow the example of the shepherds, and and we can figure that out. So there's a general announcement of rejoicing and good news to everybody. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Then he goes on to, to explain who this child that's born is, and then it gets narrowed. Peace 
to those with whom he's well pleased. I'm gonna suggest, here's, here's the, the category. There's a general gospel announcement of good news and joy to everybody. And then the content of the identity of this Messiah becomes clear and people respond either by saying, my Savior and my God, my Lord, my King. And they have peace. We're not interested in a king. They're not interested in a Lord. They're not interested in a Savior. They don't have God's peace. But I think we'll see the, the, the fleshing out of this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The coming of this child means great joy and a message of good news, a gospel for all the peoples. And ultimately his coming will bring peace to those with whom God is pleased. How, how, do, you, how do you please God? What, is, what does that look like? Just keep reading. We move from the heavenly proclamation to earthly confirmation. Pick it up in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen as it had been told to them. Earthly confirmation. I think there's three things we see from these shepherds that indicate to us what people who respond to this news in a way that is pleasing to God, do. First, the shepherds make haste to go and see the child. Shepherds, they've received a report of a savior. They've received a report of the birth of a king, of a messiah, of a lord. They make haste to go and see the child. And I think that's one of the first hallmarks of faith. If you've never heard this news, if you've never heard this gospel, if you've never had explained to you what the meaning of the birth of Jesus Christ is, I would encourage you likewise to, to be zealous, to get to the bottom of these things, to ask questions, to read your Bible, to work through these things. I'm, I'm telling you, this is the greatest news you will ever hear, that, that a Savior has been born, a King has been born, a Messiah has been born, a Lord has been born. The shepherds don't sit and say, well, that's interesting, back to work. They, they drop what they're doing and they go and investigate. They make haste to go see the child. We don't know how long it took them to find the baby. Luke doesn't fill any of those details in. We don't know how many doors they had to knock on. We don't know how quickly, they, but the, what matters is eventually they get there. We don't even really know much of what they do when we're, they're there. That's, that's not where Luke's drawing the attention. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, what's the next thing we're told they do? They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. We're not even told that they worshipped. There's another Christmas detail. It's probably accurate. It makes sense. I mean, if they believe by the angelic messengers, this is the Savior, this is the King, this is the Christ, this is the Lord, it makes perfect sense they would do homage, that they would worship. We're not told that. What we're told next, after they went, is they shared this news. The shepherds share the good news. That's where Luke draws our attention to next. And again, I think this is laying out the character of those to whom God is pleased. What's a, what's a pleasing response to this gospel? Investigate it. Go, go find this child. And having found the Lord, share the good news. 
The result, this is similar again to the birth of John the Baptist where the community is told and word gets out here. We're told that all who hear it marvel. All who hear it marvel. When they saw it, they had made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So even though God did not choose the high and the mighty to get the word out about the birth of his son, he still chose an effective witness because the word does get out. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And that, and that expression, pondering them in her heart, gathering up these things, is, this is something that she couldn't get off her mind. We've seen that already. If you turn back to chapter 1, verse 66. Not of Mary, but of, of Zechariah's um, countrymen. All who heard of the birth of John the Baptist... The, the, the opening of the mouth of the father, laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? It's a, it's a description of just, you can't get out of your mind, you can't, you can't stop thinking about it. And so Mary has had a vision by an angel, and now she hears reports of another angel and a multitude of angels visiting shepherds, and it fills up her heart as, as she's ruminating, thinking, dwelling on it. Jews, one more time in, in the next chapter, a little later in chapter two, 51. I'll go back to 49. It's when Jesus gets lost in the temple. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying. He spoke to them, but he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. One of the things Luke's drawing our attention to is Mary's continual pondering on the significance of her child. Three Mary continually dwelling on, ruminating on the significance of her child. So these shepherds make haste to go see the child. These shepherds share the good news. And finally, the shepherds praised God for all that they'd heard and seen and had been told. And notice now the shepherds are doing what the angels were doing. The angels appeared. Verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying... Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen. I, I think at least three hallmarks we can see about what a right response to this announcement is, is to investigate, to go, to find this child, to find this savior, to find this king, making haste, drop what you're doing, go and find this savior, king, Messiah, and Lord. And having found him, share the news with others, and finally, praising God. Maybe the truest test is how does this news resonate in your heart? Does it make you want to sing? Does it make you want to rejoice? Does it make you want to shout for joy? What do you got other things in your mind? The shepherds praised God for all that they had heard, seen, and been told. Now, we're to transition now to celebrating the Lord's table. Here's a chance for us to respond, not just to the birth of Christ, but to his death and resurrection. Here's an opportunity for us to, by faith, apprehend him and for who he is and what he has done. And as subjects of the king, we obey his instructions as servants and slaves of the Lord, we obey. I'm going to have a word of prayer and we will transition. Lord God, we just thank you for this great announcement, this great news, this great Savior, Messiah, 
King and Lord that you have sent. And Lord, we, we, we believe by faith in him and we believe that we are those with whom you are pleased, not because of anything in us, but pleased with faith that sees the risen Lord and believes and trusts him. And so, Lord, we just pray now that as we celebrate this observance given to us, that it would be pleasing to you, that we would receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.